0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you are new with us, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we are today in part two of a series called Real Faith. And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring what real faith in God should look like for us. And if you weren't here last week, let me go back to last week and give you the highlights of what we learned so far. So we learned three things last week. First thing we learned is we are all people of faith. So everybody has faith in something. And if you say, you know what, I don't have faith. I'm not a person of faith. I get that you're thinking you're not a person of religious faith, but you have faith in something. You might have faith in science. You might have faith in politics. Maybe, maybe not after the last election. I'm not sure how you feel about that. But you have faith in something. We all do. We're all people of faith. Second thing that we learn is that God and Google define faith differently. Surprise, surprise, right? Nobody should be shocked by that. So Google defines faith this way. Google says that faith is strong belief in God or the doctrines of religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Aren't you confident about that definition? It sounds like I strongly believe, sorta, kinda. I have no proof for it, but I think I believe it. So the sad thing is, that's how many people around the world today define faith including Christ followers. Including many Christ followers, we think that faith is about blind faith. I have no proof for it, but I just kind of strongly believe and I hope that God's real and that God loves me. That's not how God defines faith. So God defines faith in Hebrews 11:1 this way. He says Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, at first, you might think, well, that sounds a little bit like the last definition, but it isn't. So when you look at different translations of the Bible, you see words like confidence, you'll see words like assurance, you'll see words like evidence and words like proof. And if you look at this word here, hope, often we think that's wishful thinking. Well, I hope God's real, I hope heaven is real and and God accepts me into heaven when I die. I really hope so. I'm not sure. I don't really have proof. I hope so. And that's not how this word hope is defined. This word hope in the Greek is the Greek word elpizo. And that word means waiting with full confidence, full expectation. You're waiting on something that you know is going to happen. You may not know when. You may not know how, but you know it will happen, so you wait expectingly. You know it's coming. That's how God defines hope in that context. And again, that definition is very different than the way that many of us in the world define faith. The third thing we last, last learned last week was that faith is more important, faith in God is more important than just having faith in faith alone. So faith in God is more important than just faith in faith. So there's this idea that's going around today that says, you know, if you have faith in anything, you're good as long as you strongly believe in that thing. Doesn't matter what you believe in. If you sincerely believe that, you'll be good in life, you'll be good in death. But that's not true, because we can have faith in the wrong thing. You strongly believe in the wrong thing, guess what? You're in trouble. So we've got to put our faith in the right thing. And last week we learned that Christianity presents that as God, that God is the one we should put our faith in. He's the object of our faith and the object of our faith needs to be more important than our faith or our faith will fail when that thing fails us that we put our faith in. And again, Christianity says we should put our faith in God because he will ultimately never fail us. So if you missed last week, or if you want to go back and listen to what we talked about last week, you can go to our website, our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our iTunes account, and you can always listen to our messages there, and I encourage you to do that. Now, as we dive into part two today, let me ask you this weird question. Have you ever thought that you were part of a group, but found out later that you really weren't? Anybody... Can, can you quickly think of a situation where you were in that? OK, so a number of people. maybe you thought you were part of a friend group and later found out, like, oh, I guess I'm not part of that friend group. Uh, there's all kinds of situations that can fit into this question. Um, but you may be thinking, like, I don't know. Maybe, but I'm not sure. But as you are thinking, let me tell you an example from my life. So when I was in high school, this classmate of mine and I were nominated for a group at the, the high school. It was this club. It was this academic thing. And to get into this club, we had to do certain things uh, that the approval board would uh, approve of, and and then we'd be uh, inducted into the club. Well, my classmate thought, I'm going to do almost all of the things required of us, but I'm not going to do everything required. And he thought, the approval board will not notice the few minor things. But the approval board did notice the few minor things. And on induction day, he found out that his nomination was removed. So that day he thought, I'm in, I'm in the club. And he found out that day, oops, I'm not in the club. There were a few things that he didn't do. It was kind of an awkward uh, day for everybody involved. But here's how this applies to our conversation about faith. When it comes to faith, some people think they're part of God's family, but they may not be. On the outside, they may look like they're doing all the right things, but there's actually some minor things that they've overlooked, and those minor things are actually the major things that make us a part of God's family, and that's a prevalent thing today. There are millions of people around the world that think they're part of God's family, but actually, they may not be. The interesting thing is that's not a new thing. That's been happening for a very long time. It happened even in Jesus' day. There were many people in Jesus' day that thought they were part of God's family, but they weren't. And we see evidence of that in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 records this interaction that Jesus had with a group of people like that. They thought they were in God's family, and Jesus clarifies for them, like, no, you're not like you're thinking incorrectly about what it means to become a part of God's family. So I'm gonna read this whole passage. It's kind of a long passage, so bear with me, and then we'll unpack it together when we get to the other side. So that day Jesus was in the temple and he was teaching. John eight thirty one says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In response to that, some people in Jesus' crowd said back to him in verse 33, but we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? Jesus replied in 34, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. Yes, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you're imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, "'If God were your father, you would love me "'because I have come to you from God. "'I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. "'Why can't you understand what I'm saying? "'It's because you can't even hear me. "'For you are children of your father, the devil, "'and you love to do the evil things that he does. "'He was a murderer from the beginning.'" He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truly accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Can you imagine how intensive a conversation that was that day? Uh, It was very contentious uh, in in that moment. And we're going to unpack this for a little bit. But before we do, let me give you a, a disclaimer. Today, I'm going to repeat myself several times. Okay. So, when you hear me repeating myself, know that that I understand that you probably got it the first time. I hope you got it the first time. And know that I'm not circling the plane because I have no idea how to land the plane, okay? (laughs) So, I am repeating myself on purpose because what we're talking about is so critically important. We have to be crystal clear about this because our eternities are at stake. That's why it's so important. So, I'm going to repeat myself several times today. If you you are a Christ follower, I encourage you to listen clearly to the responsibility that we have as Christ followers to share our faith with other people and how we should live our faith out. If you aren't a Christ follower yet, what I encourage you to do is listen for how we can become a part of God's family and listen for the type of relationship that God wants to have with you. It's probably a very different type of relationship than the relationship that you think he wants to have with you. So if you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, listen for what it means for us to be a part of God's family. So the people arguing with Jesus that day thought they were part of God's family simply because they were descendants of Abraham. They thought since God had chosen Abraham to be the father of the Jews, and since they were Jewish, they were good. As long as they followed the Old Testament rules for a relationship with God, they were good. They didn't have to believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, not true, like you, you can't end up with the father except through me. So again, it's a very contentious conversation and the people that were listening to Jesus at the end of John eight, they picked up stones to kill Jesus. They were so angry that Jesus was saying, you're not a part of God's family if you don't come through me. So here's how this impacts us today. Many people today think that they're part of God's family simply because they believe in God or because they're good people or because they were baptized into the Christian faith as a child. And all of those people think that they have the right kind of faith, but they don't. And I don't mean to sound judgmental. I really don't because I know some great people who believe that stuff. But I would rather hurt you with the truth than comfort you with lies when your eternity is on the line. So I think that's what Jesus was doing in this conversation in John chapter eight. So here's the truth from scripture. First thing scripture teaches us is we can't be part of God's family simply because we believe in God. I know that sounds a little weird, but listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, said in James chapter two, verse 19. He said, you you say you have faith for you believe there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. So the demons aren't going to spend eternity in heaven. They know there is a God. They believe in him and who he is. So just simply belief in God is not enough. We've got to take our belief a step further. And Jesus was clear about this. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in that day, there were people saying, hey, like we believe in God the Father. We just don't believe in you, Jesus. So we're just going to take the Father and we're going to reject you. And Jesus says, you can't do that. It's not possible. You can't have access to my Father except through a relationship with me. And guess what? God the Father comes back and says, you can't have access to me without going through my Son. If you reject my Son, you've rejected me. He's the way that you enter a relationship with me and enter our family because I sent him to die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have a personal relationship with me that would last forever. So if we don't put our faith in Jesus, if we don't repent of our sins, invite him in to be our Lord and our savior, then we know about God, but we don't know God and we're not part of his family. The second thing, scripture teaches us, is we can't be part of God's family simply because we were baptized into the Christian faith as infants. And I know I have to be really careful here because there are millions of people around the world who believe this. And I think we've got to be crystal clear about this because I don't want anybody having a false sense of security. I want you to have real security based upon the truth of scripture. So to understand this, we have to take a closer look at how we become a part of God's family. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 3, and he starts in verse 20, and he says this. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So the law was the Old Testament rules for how to have a right relationship with God. So he says the law simply shows how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him or to enter his family is another way to say that without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God or we enter God's family by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. That is one of my favorite passages out of scripture. It talks about Christianity not being exclusive, not saying like, hey, Christianity is just for certain people. Uh, just for religious people or, or wealthy people or highly educated people or people who have a lot of hair in their heads. <laughs> Christianity is for everyone. doesn't matter your background. You may say, well, I grew up Buddhist or I grew up Hindu or, or I grew up an atheist. Like, none of that matters. Like, if you wanna have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you wanna be a part of God's eternal family, you can. And it happens through belief in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior for what he did on the cross for you so infants can't make that decision we have to be old enough to understand what jesus has done for us and respond to that personally in order for us to be a part of god's family so how old do we need to be i'm not sure i was five years old when i put my faith in jesus My parents had modeled for me what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus and uh, had me in church and were teaching me regularly about uh, a real relationship with with God, what real faith looked like. And at five, I asked the question to my mom. I said, mom, what does it mean to be saved? I'd heard that, didn't fully grasp that. She got her Bible out and explained that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And as a five-year-old, I knew I had sinned. I didn't want to talk to my mom about that at that moment, but I knew I had sinned and I needed forgiveness. And my mom said, if I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, he would welcome me into his eternal family. And I thought at five, you know, that's a pretty amazing deal. So at five, I opened my heart and said, Jesus, will you come and be my personal Lord and Savior? And at five, did I understand everything it means about following Jesus? No. Do I understand at 51, everything it means about following Jesus? No. I am still learning every day. But Jesus said to come to him, we have to come with childlike faith. We have to come to him and say, I believe. Like, I don't understand all of it. I don't understand how you pour out your grace on me every day for all the stupid things that I do. But God, thank you for that. I don't have to understand all of it to believe it and know that it's true. And God teaches us as we continue to walk down that path, getting to know him more and more. So God knows the right age for every person, to understand and respond to his free gift of eternal life. That's why it's so important for us to teach our kids at a young age how to have a relationship with God and how to be a part of his family. Then we should follow that decision up by being baptized because baptism is a declaration of the decision we've made to follow Jesus. Now, when it comes to baptism and salvation, there are some Christ followers, there are some religious leaders that actually teach something that's not quite accurate, and we've gotta be clear about that. There are some that, that believe that baptism is a part of the salvation process, that you're not actually saved until you are baptized, that you can make a decision to follow Jesus, but it's not official until you're dunked in some water. Then if you put those two together, then you are eternally saved. But that's called um, baptismal regeneration. But that's not true. If it were true, think about what Jesus would have said to the criminal who died on the cross that day next to him who believed in him. So he had two criminals dying on the cross next to him. One mocked him in that moment. And the other said, like, you really are the Savior of the world. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? So imagine if this guy had to be baptized in order to be saved. Jesus, hanging on the cross, would have looked to this guy and say, sorry, buddy, sucks to be you. (laughs) Because you can't get down off this cross and get baptized. It's not possible. Sorry. If we could have done that, like, hmm, 10 minutes ago, we could have, buddy. But sorry, we're stuck here. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So baptism is a part of proclaiming before God in the world that we've made a decision to follow Jesus, but it is not a requirement for salvation. We have to be crystal clear about that. Now, should we get baptized? Yes. If we can, we should, absolutely. Jesus modeled that for us, and he told us to do that. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, therefore, he's talking to his disciples, he said, go and make disciples, that's show people how to step into a relationship with me, how to be part of my family, make disciples of all the nations, everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands That I've given you. So God wants us to be baptized after we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4 talks about the symbolism of baptism. It says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So again, baptism is a symbol of our union with Christ, when we go under the water, it's symbolic of our death to our old lives. When we come out of the water, it's symbolic of us being raised to new life in Christ. And if you were at our last baptism, and and you saw the 11 people that were baptized, you saw how cool of a symbolism that is. And you probably understood that everybody there was baptized multiple times because the the waves were so intense that day. We got baptized going in and going out. So like, if you're baptized that day, you're extra confident about your relationship with God. (laughs) So again, yes, we should be baptized after. We put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, every once in a while, somebody will ask me, hey, I was baptized as an infant. Like, should I be baptized again? My answer is yes. If you don't remember your baptism, you should be baptized after you've made a decision to follow Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So if you're in that spot, if, if you've made a decision recently to follow Jesus and you've not been baptized, I encourage you to sign up for our next baptism. It's on Easter, so April 9th, which is right around the corner. I encourage you to do that. It's gonna be a great day for us to, to have a baptism and we're praying hard that the ocean will be calmer that day, so pray with us for that. Uh, but I encourage you to sign up for that if that applies to you. So here's the third thing the scripture teaches us. We can't be part of God's family simply because we're good people. Now I assume you're good people. I assume all of us are good people, but we can't be good enough. Romans 3.10 says no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So we may have moments of being good, but we have way more moments of us not being good and we can't be good enough to meet God's standard of perfection. Ephesians two, eight and nine says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Now think about this, if we could be good enough to gain eternal life, be good enough to get into God's family on our own, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die. And we wouldn't need Jesus. So imagine what Jesus would have said when he he came to earth. He would have said to all of us in like a big pep rally, like keep trying, everybody. Like keep going. Like one day you'll get there. If you keep trying really hard, follow the 10 commandments and maybe the 613 other commandments that the Old Testament prophets came up with, uh, maybe you'll get there. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, listen, you can't be good enough, but I am. And I'll die in your place so that you can have eternal life. I'll die in your place so that you can have something you can't earn. It's not possible for you to earn it, but I'll step in and make sure that you can earn it. So we can't be good enough to be a part of God's family or gain eternal life. We can't be baptized into the Christian faith. We can't be part of God's family simply because we believe in God again, we must put our faith and trust in Jesus as our personal Lord and savior to be a part of God's eternal family. Here's the thing about God. God is very personal and he wants to know you personally. He knows you individually. He, the scripture says he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Some of us are helping him out with the counting process. <laughs> But God knows everything there is to know about you, everything, everything about your personality, everything about your past, everything about your secrets, everything about your future, everything about your successes. He knows everything about you and he wants to know you personally. I don't know if that blows your mind. It blows my mind. On most days, I feel like a bumbling idiot and I think, why would a loving creator God want to know me personally? I'm a nobody. And yet scripture is clear. God loves everybody. That means God loves me. He sent Jesus to die for me. He wants to know me personally. Guess what? God loves you. He wants to know you personally. He wants a personal relationship with you. So to be part of God's family, we have to know God personally. Again, we do that by putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Ephesians 1.5 five. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Again, there's no other way to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gave God great pleasure. I love the context of God's adoption. And I think almost every adoption that ever happens in the world, it's parents choosing a kid looking over kids and saying, I I pick you. I want you to be a part of my family. In God's adoption plan, the kids pick the parent. The kids say to God, like, I want you to be my parent. And why is that? Because God's already picked all of us, but he gives us the freedom to choose whether we pick to be a part of his family or not. And again, we have to make the decision and we have to uh, make that decision crystallized through our belief in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior to be a part of God's family because God is personal and he wants to know us personally. In addition to our real faith being personal, our real faith must be passed on. So again, in Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples and he tells us today, go everywhere, tell everyone about a personal relationship with me and that means we have to go across the room, maybe at home, and talk to somebody about a relationship with Jesus. Maybe we have to go across the street in our neighborhood. Maybe we have to go across the office at work. Maybe we have to go across the state or nation or our world to pass on our faith to other people and let other people know that God's personal and he wants a personal relationship with him. So we have a responsibility to help other people clearly understand how they can enter God's family. And again, that's by faith in Jesus alone. Now, I know that sharing our faith can sometimes be a little intimidating. Uh, That can be intimidating if somebody's new to faith. That can be intimidating, even for some people who have been a part of a relationship with God for a very long time. That can be very intimidating. So it's important for us to learn how to do that. And I put some great resources on our spiritual growth challenge that you can pick up today if you're on campus. Pick that up in our lobby before you leave today. If you're watching online, you can pick that up in our comment section. There should be a link to that. There's some great resources that can help you learn how to pass on your faith to other people. It's a critical responsibility we have, and I hope that you'll get those resources and learn how to do that. Now, one of the first groups of people that we should share our faith with is our families. Guess what holidays are coming up that gives us an opportunity for that? Thanksgiving's coming up. One person knows what the the time of year it is here. That's great. So Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up and I know what you're thinking around those holidays. I know you're thinking like, you don't talk about politics or religion around family gatherings because it's gonna get contentious. Like maybe in John eight around Jesus, like people are gonna wanna stone me before the end of Thanksgiving dinner. So like, I get that, but wouldn't it be horrible to get to heaven and understand some of your family members aren't there, maybe because you didn't share your faith with them? Like, wouldn't it be horrible to get to heaven and say, like, hey, where's Uncle Bob? Like, "I I don't know. Like, we never talked to him about faith in Jesus. Oh, Uncle Bob never really had that opportunity? Like, no, we never shared our faith with him. And I understand that everybody has their own personal responsibility to make a decision to follow Jesus. But we as Christ followers have a responsibility to lovingly share our faith with everyone. And the first group of people, I think, is with our families. Listen to how clear God is about that. in Deuteronomy 6, five. He said, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to all these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them around your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So I'm curious, how many parents do we have here today? Hold up your hand real high. If you're watching online, just let us know you're a parent. Okay. So parents, we have a responsibility to share our faith with our kids. We have a responsibility to show them what real faith in Jesus looks like. And that doesn't mean we have to live perfect lives. It doesn't mean that. It just means we have to model for them what real faith in Jesus looks like. Now, I I personally feel like um, God has blessed me Uh, in, in that category, not because I'm a perfect parent, but because my parents did a pretty good job of passing their faith on to me and to my brother and my sister. Neither of my parents were raised in Christian homes, but when, when they became Christ followers, like they lived that out for us kids. My dad, I think was 16 when he put his faith in Jesus My mom, I think, was, I don't remember how old she was, but I was one years old, one year old, when my mom put her faith in Jesus. I think after a year of having me, she said, I need Jesus. I, I desperately need Jesus. So I'm grateful that God placed me in her life so she could find Jesus and lead me to Jesus later. So my parents modeled what it means to have real faith. They lived out what they said they believed. They taught us kids how to do the same thing. Were they perfect parents? No, they weren't. And I have to say sorry, mom, because my mom watches every Sunday. Mom, I know you weren't perfect. None of us are perfect, but you did a great job of leading me to Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that. Guess what? My in-laws also did a great job of leading my wife and her siblings in what it really means to have real faith in God. My in-laws, they weren't raised in Christian homes either, But after they met Jesus, they raised their four kids in Christ-centered homes. They modeled and they taught for their kids what it means to have real faith in Jesus. And because my parents did that, and because my in-laws have done that, all of their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are Christ followers. That is 35 and counting, 35 and counting. And that's because four people, sorry, that's eight, four people. (laughs) Four people said, you know what? When we met Jesus, we're really going to live this out. Our marriage is going to be centered on Christ. Our parenting is going to be centered on Christ. Because if four people made that decision, 35 people are now going to spend eternity in heaven because our parents led us to Jesus. Amen. And I am so grateful for that in my own life. Now, maybe you didn't grow up in a home like that, but you can still Create a home like that. You can create a home where faith is lived out, where faith is passed on. But sometimes when I'm in conversation with parents about this, maybe a parent will come to to know faith in Jesus and we start having a conversation about how to adjust their their family system and how to lead their kids towards Jesus. Sometimes they'll say to me, like, like, I don't want to you know, force this on my kids. I don't want my kids to be pushed away from God. So I'll let them make their own decisions about faith and about God and about church attendance, about reading the Bible and praying and all that stuff. And I get that we don't want to push our kids away from Jesus, but we have a responsibility to lead our kids to Jesus. We can't make them become followers of Jesus, but we can certainly lead them to that and have conversations about that and model for them what it means have a relationship with Jesus, that is one of the most important things that we can do for our kids. So guess what my kids have had to do every Sunday all of their lives? Come to church. They've had to come to church. They've had to be active in in everything that our church offers. They've been a part of setup. They've been a part of teardown. They've been a part of kids ministry, student ministry, small groups, community events, mission trips. My kids have not had an option I've taken the pressure off of my kids. They never have to wonder, I wonder what we're doing on Sunday morning. <laughs> they never have to like, worry about that Saturday night. They know what they're gonna be doing Sunday morning. Now, you may say, well, that's because you're a pastor. We did that with our kids before we were in ministry. Why? Because that's what my parents modeled for me. And that's what we're trying to model for our kids. Now our kids are almost all grown up And they have a faith of their own, which is so cool to watch. So our oldest daughter, Sydney, is married to that guy right over there. She's married to a great Christian man. They have two kids and they're in full-time ministry. Um, Our daughter, Maddie, who's 25, she's married to a great Christian man and they're in full-time ministry in New Zealand. Our 19-year-old college girl, Annie, she's interning in ministry right now. Uh, Our senior in high school, Cody, he needs therapy because he has three sisters, which means he has kind of like four moms, which is a, a really big deal. Please pray for him. But he is very active in ministry. And I am not saying that God's ultimate career goal for anybody is ministry. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that Tammy and I have been perfect parents. I did a series in August called Issues to talk about my issues. So if you wonder if I have issues as a parent, listen to that series. Or talk to one of my kids. Talk to my wife. She'll let you know. We are not perfect parents. But it is so incredibly important. I want my kids to be with me in heaven. I would, would just kill me if one of my kids or my grandkids didn't get to spend eternity with me in heaven so incredibly important for us to lead our kids in that direction. The apostle John said in 3 John 1, 4, he said, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my kids are following the truth. And I feel the same way, because that is the most important thing that we can pass on to our kids. It's way more important than giving them a big inheritance. It's more important than giving them a a great education. It's the most important thing because it's the only thing that will benefit them for all of eternity. It's for us leading them towards Jesus. So the only things that we get to take to heaven with us are the people we've passed our faith on to. So I wonder, who are you passing your faith on to? It's a humbling question. That leads us to our bottom line thought for today. Our bottom line thought is this. Real faith must be personal, and it must be passed on. So real faith in Jesus must be personal. I have to have that personal relationship for me, not based on somebody else, not based on something they did for me, but I have to make the decision to follow Jesus myself, and I have to pass my faith on to other people. I have to share it with other people so they can have that personal relationship with him as well that will last forever. And that might be God, so you better answer that. (laughs) He's calling. He wants a personal relationship with you right now. All right, so as we close, let me ask you a few questions based upon our bottom line thought here. Number one, do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you have a personal relationship with God? If you do, are you passing it on? If you don't, why not? Like what's holding you back? God went to great lengths to prove his love for you. He's waiting patiently for you to decide that you want to be adopted into his family. So what's holding you back? If you have questions, ask them. There are real answers for your questions. If you have doubts, have a conversation about that. There's some Great resources that I put on our Spiritual Growth Challenge if you're exploring what faith in God could look like. And I encourage you to pick that up. If you wanna have a conversation about that, I'll be in the lobby, love to talk with you. Stop by our care table as well. There'll be some amazing people there that love to talk with you as well about any questions or doubts that you may have about a relationship with God. So do you have a personal relationship with God? Second question is, if you think you're a part of God's family, are you really? Are you really? And I don't mean to scare anybody, but I want you to have... Eternal security and assurance of your salvation. If you're thinking that you have a relationship with God because you believe in God or because you were baptized as an infant or because you're a good person, it's not enough. It's not enough. Again, we circled around today and said it over and over and over again. Unless we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by putting our faith and trust in him, we are not a part of God's family. So are you really a part of God's family? Third question. If you know you're a Christ follower, who are you passing your faith on to? Again, those are the only people that we get to take to heaven with us as people that we're passing our faith on to. And we have a responsibility to share our faith with others. So are you fulfilling the responsibility that God has given us? It starts at home and then it expands from there. So you're sharing your faith with other people. Now in just a minute, our worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna close us in a song called Closer. About desiring a closer relationship with God, and um, before they sing and and we participate, I just want us to pray together. And and as we pray, I'm going to talk to several different groups of people. So let's all bow our heads together and, and let's pray. As we begin praying, I'm just curious, curious if there's anybody here today willing to say, you know what? I, I know I'm a Christ follower, but but I haven't really been living my faith the way that I should, and I haven't been passing my faith on to other people. So if you're in that spot, would you raise your hand for just a second? All right, a number of hands that have gone up. I appreciate the honesty. So God, I pray for all of us that we would live out real faith in front of other people. Lord, that's a responsibility that we have. It's not a perfect faith. It's a real faith. And sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we got to come back to you and, and make it right. And we have to apologize to other people. Lord, that's what you want for us, to be genuine about our faith and live that out in front of other people, pass our faith on to them. So, Lord, I pray that we would take that commission seriously. We would live out our faith every day in front of people around us. As we continue to pray... There just might be somebody here on campus. There might be somebody watching online who's in the spot of saying, you know what? Like, I understand today what Jesus has done for me. And maybe I thought I was a part of God's family before, but I really wasn't. Or maybe I knew I wasn't before, but now I realize what it takes to become a part of God's family. And I want that. I wanna be a part of God's family. If you're in that spot, what I encourage you to do either right now or during this final song is have a conversation with God. He's waiting. He's waiting for this conversation. He's waiting for you to say, I need to be adopted. So just tell God, God, I believe in you. I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm so grateful that you sent Jesus to be my savior and die so I could have eternal life so I could be a part of your family. So God, today, I choose to be adopted by you. And I ask you, Jesus, to be my personal Lord and Savior. If anybody is praying that prayer for the first time or if if you plan on praying that prayer during our closing song, I just encourage you to raise your hand for a second. Everybody's still praying. I see one hand over there, thank you. Anybody else? I see a second hand there. Thank you. Anybody else? A third hand in the back. Thank you for that. I encourage uh, those of you who are in that spot to come and talk to me after the service. I would love to give you a a free resource that'll help you grow in this new relationship that you have with the creator of the universe. So let's finish praying together. God, I'm so grateful for this day. This is adoption day for those people that raised their hand and said, "I, I choose to be a part of your eternal family. So God, thank you for extending that to all of us and thank you for the courage of these people today who said, I want a part of that. I want a personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would grow them in this new relationship. Lord, I pray that you would grow all of us who have this relationship and burn a, a passion in our hearts to share our faith with others. Lord, we desire a personal relationship with you. We desire a closer relationship with you, a relationship that's real, has real faith, and is really passed on to other people. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.